today we had on Stephen Kaplan. He is a Navy SEAL. We met him out in Hawaii when we were on our league trip a few weeks ago. Awesome, awesome guy. This guy is the owner of a company called Trident Adventures. It's basically like a common man's Navy SEAL Ooh, like setup. That. You know, like like you can go maybe not common man, maybe the 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 like the upper middle class of adventurous. Yeah, yeah, you can go. I mean, we jumped out of hell. Anyway, it was a crazy day, but this guy's amazing. He was a SEAL for 16 years. He was medically retired after sustaining a bunch of injuries. We actually got into a little bit of that on the podcast. Um, husband, father, just an awesome, awesome guy. But what were your kind of like, what was one of your main takeaways uh, to kind of hype everyone up to listen to this episode? Yeah, the one, how open he is, right? Like he shared a lot of like, mm. you don't always get feelings out of Navy SEALs, not to put them in a box, <laughs> but, right? Like, um, and his um, attachment to purpose, how important purpose was in everything that he did. And then probably the last one was um, empathy, just about the way he thinks about his teammates was really, is really like introspective and really like impactful to me. Yeah, he definitely changes the way that I think that most people look at what a Navy SEAL is supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, he's like a you lover, know? you know. Yeah, he's awesome. But um, you guys are going to love it. Please, uh, the end, there were some really, really good nuggets toward the end as well. So I'm excited for everyone to hear it. The League presents Electric People. So here's what happened at my house over the weekend. Uh, is this a story that I want to know about? Oh, yeah, man. My house is, my house is, there's lots of kids in the house. And everything is fair game. We're an open family, right? Okay. So I have my, uh, you know, I have my, my, my routine. Sunday is grooming day. It's the time I know I have time to get <laughs> every stuff Sunday. Done. Yeah. So I'll make sure that I'm always charged up. What time of day? First thing in the morning. Okay. Yeah. Part of the morning routine. Part of the morning routine. Yeah. So I get up, but I make sure our, my, you know, my nose hair trimmer and my little like manscaped lawnmower is all, all charged up. And I go into the bathroom and, uh, my wife's got her sleeves rolled up oh, and God. she's running the manscaped up her arms. <laughs> You think that this product is only for men because it said manscaped, but it is not easy to find a good shaver that will shave your arms. It's you usually have to do that with a razor For blade. all mankind, actually. Yeah, that's what it is. Manscaped is for mankind. That's right. Right? Yeah, it's not just for men. It's not just for, you know, your average guy, you know, with his foot up on the counter in the bathroom trying to get all the little nooks and crannies. Okay, now you know. you're the one with the visual. So, yeah. Me. So it's, uh, you know, it's for a lovely lady to... Know, tr you know, clean up the arms a little bit, whatever. That's exactly right. So on that note, reminder, our friends at Manscaped are giving us a 20% off discount. Do it for you. Do it for mankind. The The code is electric. <laughs> Use it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Electric People. Today, we are both thrilled, excited, honored to have on our guest, a man named Steve Kaplan, who... Uh, Ty, I met Steve in Hawaii when we were on our company trip. Oh, I'm aware. I have sufficient FOMO. Like you guys have had this like super awesome, like Navy SEAL hangout. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like already back and knocking doors. So yeah. Yeah. You Hi, know, it's, we do our, the company, Steve does these, this trip every year and, uh, the West coast goes one week and then the East coast goes one week. And it's always like a mystery, which coast is going to get, you know, I think when they book it all, they all assume it's going to be equally as awesome and cool. And it always is. I just <laughs> didn't get to hang with you guys. So. Yeah. But um, so Steve uh, runs a company called Trident Adventures. And a handful of us were 
uh, had the privilege of going on this adventure with Steve, and it was just the most insane day we'd ever had. I mean, we were jumping out of helicopters, we're scuba diving, we're holding octopus. I mean, it was just a wild, wild day. So, um, but we spent literally what two full days with you, right? So, yeah, um, we really got to know Steve really well, and his uh, his story and the stories that he was kind of sharing with us as we kind of got to know him more and more and picking his brain about his experience when he was a seal, all that kind of stuff was um, just really inspiring to me. And so I wanted to have you on. So Steve, I'm excited to have you on, man. I'm excited to be on. Yeah. It's good to see you again. <laughs> Steve was a Navy SEAL for 16 years. And I have to ask you, I'm just going to start it with this. Had you ever seen an injury more brutal than when I banged my knee into that uh, <laughs> the pillow? The sea urchin. I banged my oh, knee. Into yeah. Hey, I was. I, I had an intention my, to make fun of you, but sea I urchins bang, are real, dude. That, I, that is a real thing. I banged my knee into a sea urchin, and uh, you know they tell Steve trained us on like, hey, if something's going on, everyone's you, like, they, pee on him. No, like, pee no, on like him. you have to sit underwater. Like you, you move, you move your hand like side to side. Like yeah, if goggles, something's going on. With your, <laughs> something's going on with your goggles. Like you point your, you do the hand, then you point your goggles, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm underwater, and I'm panicking like i i look down at my knee and there's like 10 needles that are like four inches long <laughs> hanging out hanging out of my knee barbed spline. and in my mind i had minutes to live you know and um and i'm like looking at steve and i'm like waving my hands and he's like what and i like point at my knee and he swims over i like pull these these needles out and he takes off his respirator, and I'm envisioning that he's about to suck the venom out. Like, yeah, like a snake, <laughs> bite, you know, like a snake bite. And uh, he takes his respirator, his air, the respirator is that what's called the regulator. Uh, regulator, and uh, yeah. he go grabs my knee like he's about to suck the venom out, and he just kisses my knee better, <laughs> and he pats me on the head, and then he gives me that he gives oh, me that are you perfect. okay like are you okay sign, and I was like yeah I'm a, I'm good. Oh, that's <laughs> so good. It was that moment that I realized I probably couldn't have been a seal. No, so. <laughs> I'm glad it took you to that yeah. moment. Yeah. So I don't know, Steve, how does that rank? How does that rank compared to some of your injuries in battle? Oh, it's about up there, you know, getting shot and blown up and everything. It's about the same. <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, the, how, how, what was your thoughts uh, after hanging out with us for two days? What was, um, I guess, what was kind of some of your takeaways? Oh, you guys are awesome. Uh, it, it was interesting to watch all the, the alpha versions of you guys battle it out and who's the most alpha of all, uh, especially when it came to that first day of jumping out of the helicopter. It was pretty awesome. Just so you guys know, uh, I don't typically allow people to jump as high as you guys did, but you look like you're all in competition with one another, so why not? I think you jumped at 65 feet, right, Al? Yeah. Hey, I have a theory about 65 feet. It's that exact you do, huh? Yeah, the theory is if anybody tells you if they've jumped higher than that, they're lying. Because, you know, everyone's always like, yeah, we jumped off these 90 foot cliffs and I've jumped from 65 feet and it's no joke. Like 65 feet measured is high, right? So I was like, yeah, we jumped off a 90 foot cliff. No, you didn't. You didn't. (laughs) You, Steve, may have. Everyone else didn't. Yeah. What's your highest jump, Steve? I, well, it was at night, so I don't actually know, but I know I screamed twice like a little girl. (laughs) (laughs) 
So there's the, a difference between good pilots and bad pilots. Like the comp with my company, we only take really good pilots. I test them all. And they're all with a company called Magnum Helicopters. Of that company, only a few we allow to do the, the helo cast is what it's called, where you get to jump out of the helicopter. And I test them all. So when I was in the SEAL teams, this is one of the things I used to do. The title of the person in charge of all that is called a cast master or a Hearst cast master if you're doing rope stuff, uh, like fast roping and rappelling or spy rigging. Um, so, but when you jump out, it's just casting. So you're going to jump out of the helicopter. So we had bad pilots in the past who are also training with us. So they're learning how to do it while my guys, myself included, are also learning. And you get some bad pilots, especially when it's their first time. Every time a body leaves the aircraft, the aircraft gets lighter. And if they don't account for that, the aircraft keeps on climbing. So if you're one of the last ones <laughs> the out, last it's a terrible experience. <laughs> Especially when you jump because you have fins on sometimes. Sometimes you just tape them to your legs. Sometimes when you're expecting to jump really low, you just keep your fins on. Uh, so if you're jumping with your fins on, it catches a lot of wind. So it makes you kind of flatten and smack your back. <laughs> For this one, I, I, the one I'm speaking of right now, that I had my fins on, which was the last time I ever did that. Uh, but I ended higher up and higher on my and back. Higher. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I think it was the second to last one out, and uh, yeah, that was a pretty miserable experience. So I don't know how high it was, but it was high enough to hurt really bad. That's like the ultimate, though. Like even like to jump into not know, right? And then you're already landing in the ocean, and then you don't even know if you're parallel with the horizon at that point. <laughs> yeah, you didn't. So yeah, you couldn't see look the, at. You couldn't see the landing. <laughs> no. Oh, I just know it's done really bad. And hey, my, we're already impressed. And, and we haven't even gotten into like the heavy <laughs> stuff. And I already think that's awesome. <laughs> so you, you're lo I'm reading your shirt. You're on Koalina. That's where your business is located now. That's where Trident Adventures is. Yep. Actually, this is the first time I mentioned this. We're looking to expand onto the South Shore into Honolulu. So we'll, we'll own a couple different uh, coasts of, of Oahu. We have, uh, we have our boat where we do scuba diving and snorkeling out of. And the type of scuba diving and snorkeling we do aren't your typical... Uh, kind of cattle truck type of tours that you normally do. Everything is very catered and customized to each individual. So we bring on all these uh, scooters. You tried the scooter, right, Adam? Mm-hmm. It was awesome. But they're really fun. And you can hold them out in front of you. You can ride them between your legs and zip around the reef like Superman. And next time you guys come out, you got to try to go to the shipwrecks with us. So on the west side, we have uh, seven shipwrecks that we go to. So it's pretty awesome. All World War II wrecks. And uh, you, you take those those scooters and you can actually zip from one wreck to another, to another, to another. And we can hit six on six on one dive. Wow. If you're good, you got to be good on air, but it's a hundred feet down. So you got to be, you have to go down, hit the wreck, come back up, travel at about 25 feet of depth and go down to the wreck because your body takes on a lot of nitrogen when you're deep. You don't want to uh, build up too much nitrogen where you have to do what's called decompression stop on the way up. But we do that kind of stuff too. So we do the, the intro to diving. We call it DSDs, discover scuba diving. Some people call it Try diving. So when the, when the Sunrun group came up, I don't think we had any certified divers. I think everybody was their first times or one of their first times ever diving. So we usually go pretty shallow for that. No more than about 35, 40 feet. Yeah, we just teach you how to dive and hop on a scooter and go have fun. So we do that. And then I actually own another company called uh, Trident Tactical Group where I teach close quarter combat. In the world of the SEAL teams, it's I, like I would never give away what we actually do. But I mean, I work with kids and with uh, with corporate groups like this. And I teach people how to clear a room and how to work together as a team. And you go from one room to another to another. Then you leave the building. You go to another building. And it's how to really how to protect your buddy as your buddy protects you. So like when I was in the SEAL teams, I, people ask all the time, are you ever scared? Like, of course I was scared. But 
I'm more scared driving down the H1, which is the main highway here in Hawaii than I ever was in combat. Because <laughs> when you're with a group of guys that you actually trust with your life, you never have to check your six. You never have to look back. Everyone mm. does their job. Everyone's protecting you and it's your job to protect them. It's the safest environment you can possibly imagine. So when guys awesome. like me leave the SEAL team, it's the hardest thing for us is to find a group of people uh, that's, that's like the brotherhood that we exist in. I, I always said it was impossible uh, to find it. So I created it. And that's really what Trident Ventures, my company and my other company is all about. Uh, we, we, we do really cool activities and we do the helicopter jump, but really it's about our people. And we take a, a person that at the core of who they are is just a really, really good person. And then uh, I, I train them to my standards. So I could, I could turn a monkey into a dive master, but I can't teach a monkey how to be a good person in their heart. So you find someone with a good heart, good work ethic, um, um, and then you take them and then you train them to be the professionals that I expect them to be. And that's really what Trident is all about. So they're actually making a company or they're making a, a TV series out of my company. And of course, it's the activities that's attractive. But it's really not about the activities. It's about my people. That's my brand, my people. Mm. Um, and I can see that, guys, with your company, too. Just the way that you guys, the way that you treat your top sales reps and sent them to me, and the way that everyone spoke of each other, I thought that was super cool. I saw a little bit of what I have going on in my company with what you guys got going on because you really value your people. And I mean, that's why we're here talking right now is because you value your people. You want to encourage them. You want them to become better at what they do on the inside. And what your inner world creates your outer world. So if they're better on the inside, they're inspired, they're encouraged. Well, that's going to obviously affect how they are in business and in sales. It's the same thing with my team. So build them up on the inside um, and then see what happens on the outside. So yeah, so we do all that cool stuff, but it's all about the people. It was awesome. He, he so Steve showed us some of the stuff he does to train his, uh, his dive masters or the the guides or whatever. My team. He was kind of walking us through like your normal like scuba training to become like a, a guide or whatever, you know, if you're underwater. And then he showed us a video of what they do to his team. And I'll let Steve explain it, but basically it's like putting these guys through a Navy SEAL underwater combat training. And these are just like local Hawaiian kids, like looking for a summer job, you know. Next thing. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you want a job? And next, you think you want a job? <laughs> next thing you know, they're, you know, they're getting jumped underwater, like 50 feet. And it, literally, like they're getting beat up underwater. And then, the, and then they just like stop. And then the guys, they're like, well, let's see if you can live now, you know. So I don't know, maybe Steve, you, yeah. can, I, you, can, you can explain it better than me. So when you go through BUDS, um, it's like boot camp for SEAL. It's an acronym, BUDS, B-U-D-S. Basic underwater demolition seal training, buds. Took me two years to get through that. Freaking sucks, by the way. Wouldn't recommend yeah, it. Wow. There's two really, really difficult parts of buds. And buds is broken down to three different phases. First phase basically beat the piss out of you for a couple months. Second phase is all the diving. And then third phase is all land warfare tactics, shooting, land navigation, stuff like that, demolition. So they want to see if you can get through the hard stuff before the fun stuff, basically. They're, they're wanting to make None sure you can fun. get through all, <laughs> all the hard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> two years, though, man, how long does it normally take? Like, if you were to just shoot right through, maybe two years is normal, but we've had a couple SEALs on the show. That means you've gone through, I mean, how many hell weeks have you done and how many times have you had to go through the things that we all watch, like, on TV and read about? So I've only been through hell week once. I kept on getting oh, injured. Good. So hell week is that first part that really, really, really sucks. It's five and a half days. You don't sleep. You get the piss beat out of you. All your buddies quit. And you'll start with a class of like 
300, give or take 50. And then by the time you're done, usually somewhere between the 20 to 35 range of people left. So 90% of the people quit. So that's the first thing that really sucks. The second thing mm -hmm. is what we call pool week. And pool week is like the hell week of second phase. That's the dive phase. And the last thing that you go through in pool week is called pool comp, short for confidence. Uh, and essentially it's just the green light for the instructors just to beat the piss out of you underwater and to see if you freak out. And if you plant your foot on the, on the pool deck and try to shoot to the surface. Um, so they just beat the crap out of you, tie your gear in knots and you just got to stay calm and take it. And it lasts, I don't know, anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes. I don't actually remember it. feels like an eternity. Yeah. Uh, but that's the last thing that you go through after a four or five days worth of other sucky stuff to get to that point. So that stuff that we did in buds is what I do to my guys and my staff. So they have, I have a stack of resumes that's like three or four inches thick. And these are, these are people that bring a paper copy of their resume to me. This doesn't include all the ones that are online. So I have, I, I get the cream of the crop to choose from to begin with, and then I test them. So they have to, I, I don't care really what their background is. I care again with what's inside. And then I can, I can train someone to, to my standards. And part of reaching my standards is going through the gauntlet. In fact, that's what my guys have ended up calling it, the gauntlet. So I, I go down there and we've been, it's a stepping up process. It's not like when I was in buds where I just come here and start pounding you. So I build these guys up to this level and uh, it's funny to watch how nervous they are. I get them down on the bottom of the ocean and I have all my safety built into it. So I got my standby divers with standby regulators and everything. And those scooters that you use them, we take them and we turn them backwards. So it's just shooting sand at you the whole time. And I just go in there and I smack your regulator out, rip your mask off, punch you in the face a few times, hit you, <laughs> start ripping your gear off, pull your fins off, turning you around in circles. And there's usually two other guys helping me and they're spinning you around and everything too. And there's two things I'm looking for really. One, that you stay calm. And two, that you don't try to bolt to the surface. If you do, it literally holds you down, stick a regular in your mouth and wait for you to calm down. And at that point, it's like, well, this isn't for you, or we try again if it's a really good person. Um, so far, everyone I've tested, they've made it. So I'm so, thinking we do. We I, do I a, build them up to that level. We do a new rep training, and I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you that we call it boot camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, boot camp's not that big a deal. It is more well, like seat camp. That's yeah. a big deal. <clears throat> and so I'm just wondering if maybe we need to implement, because we do, like, in all seriousness, like we teach them how to do the job and but but very few training programs actually teach people how to think and actually how to like, how to like show up emotionally and how to like manage all the stuff that's actually going to inhibit performance in the job. Because the day to day oh, job is sure. not that hard, right? Like not to minimize what you do or what we do or anything like that, but usually the task isn't that hard. It's the, it's the humanity of it all, right? It's your emotions. It's the frustration. It's, it's your brain talking to you. And I, I think yep. we, I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to punch people in our boot camp, although that'd be nice to spin them around and punch them, <laughs> but you could spit a bit of chair. Yeah. No, but I, I respect that. And you know, as you've been talking, I've been thinking too, like some of these elements of how to build a team where you're not looking for the best diver on the Island. You're looking for the best set of like oh. character traits and then the diving yes. stuff you can get into them. And then you want to test their ability to like negotiate a difficult situation and I think mm -hmm. that those are the things that make people in a community great, but they're also the hardest things to spot, like in an interview or, I mean, it's, it's, you just have to like, 
it has to come out during resistance, right? Stress test. Yeah. For sure. So if you have yeah, any ideas of how we can how we can really get to the emotional like breaking point of our new reps, I'd like to hear no. <laughs> all the new reps are like, please yeah, send them all to me. it's hard enough. I'll break them for you. <laughs> yeah, we already send them to the neighborhood to face sheer humiliation. Like, is any more really necessary? But yeah, I will say this for you, oh, move on. Yeah. A lot of times when we go out in the field with reps, so we'll take them out and say, Hey, this is how you do the job. And I think a lot of people misunderstand the purpose of those. Like a lot of people think that the purpose of that is to learn how to sell, right? The actual purpose is to learn how to behave. Because when you watch an expert, like you're not, it's like if I was going to watch you on a mission, it's not like I'm going to learn shooting tactics, right? But I probably will be like, man, this guy's incredibly calm. Even when that thing happened, he didn't freak out, right? Like Mm -hmm. he calmed another guy down. Really like when reps are in the situation shadowing an expert, they learn how to be. It seems your process kind of like forces them to show you that. Yeah, that's interesting. So in the SEAL teams, um, when you're focused on what's in front of you, we have, we yeah. have a phrase, right? We call it front sight focus. So when you shoot, you have a, you're using iron sights. So you have, a, you have a front sight and then you have your rear sights and you line them up and you're supposed to focus on that front sight right here where this is nice and clear and, and visible in your vision. The rear side's a little blurry and your target's a little blurry. So it's called front sight focus. And we say, don't get stuck with your front sight focus. It's important to learn that. In other words, when I'm going to a range and I'm shooting and I'm becoming very, very uh, efficient and proficient and, and professional with my shooting where I can always hit my target every time, that's one thing. It's another thing when you're able to shoot, that's with one eye. Now you shoot with both eyes open. Now you're able to do it with both eyes open, which is much harder than it sounds. And then you're able to do that while moving. Then you're able to do that uh, with a guy next to you. And, then you, and we keep building it, building it, building it. And the goal is, is that you're not front sight focused on your target all the time. You, you open up your situational awareness and you absorb everything around you. But when that gun comes up, you can take the shot without being laser focused on your target. You're still absorbing everything around you. And that's one of the things that SEALs are really, really, really good at is we're able to think outside the box. We're able to absorb our surroundings. We're able to practice what we call tactical patience, um, where you don't have to make a call right now. You don't have to do the thing right now. Relax. Let the gunfight develop. Let the firefight develop. And as it's developing, you start seeing pockets of opportunity over here. You see, um, you see an objective that we can do over here in order to accomplish the mission. So I think how that would translate to you guys is when you're doing maybe uh, meeting people for the first time, you absorb everything around them. You absorb the type of person they are. You see the pictures on the wall. You can see that they're a family person. You can see that they're an adrenaline junkie. You start absorbing things so that you can learn how to relate with them. So you, as you, you see everything around you, then it's time to pull up your gun and take that shot or make that sale or whatever it is that you guys do and how you do that. But being aware of your surroundings is the number one thing. Yeah. I think for leaders, right? Cause leaders, um, our leaders are a little bit different because in a lot of positions, um, you know, you get promoted for being good at selling and then you have to do a completely different job, which is lead people. I mean, the two are barely related, right? But oftentimes um, that's a challenge for some of our leaders because stuff breaks, right? Like when you're, when you're pushing an industry, just like you guys, right? Like you're doing these highly like tactical things. So stuff breaks and goes wrong. But we have a lot of leaders, as you've been talking, even some of the situations that I dealt with last week, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Adam, but it's almost like if you could back up and look at that whole picture for a second, 
it'll tell you what to do. You know what I mean? Is this, is this the time? Is that the thing to push or are you only looking at the front site? Like that's, I mean, I've heard front site focus before. Obviously that's so universally applicable to business that often when you're in the, you called it a firefight, you get blind to everything else. Well, it's probably no time to be shooting when you're blind to everything else. You know? Yeah, I agree. And like I said, we got to let things develop sometimes where it seems like you're indecisive. You're not, you're just gathering all your Intel, like just let things develop. And then as they develop, they become more clear and you see how things are all connected to one another. And then you're able to make the call, whatever that call is, but based on everything you've seen all around you, not just what's in front of you at the moment. Steve, with our job, there's, uh, it's not just selling, you're managing customers, you're, you're moving accounts through the pipeline. And I think sometimes our sales reps, um, you can sometimes trick yourself into thinking you're being effective by like doing all these other little things. And then what happens is they forget to do the thing that matters most, which is to consistently create new accounts every single day. And so our, our sales reps were saying, you know, you need to make sure you're creating at least one new account every single day and then, you know, manage your time and things like that. And whenever, and I don't know if this was how it was for you, Ty, there were times where like, I, I almost didn't know what I should do next. And then I just always remembered just thinking, if you don't ever know what to do, just go knock another door and go sell, you know, are there, is there something like that with, you know, if you're on a mission with your SEAL team and, you know, we're talking about letting a situation come to you or develop, like, is there some sort of like mantra or just something you guys do? Like, if you're not sure what to do next, is it like a keep moving forward mentality or like what's the mentality when you're on a mission and you're like the term snafu, right? Where it's like everything gets screwed up and you're not sure what to do next. Like what's the, what's the standard operating procedure at that point? When things start getting complicated, always you want to fall back to your basics. And it sounds like that's what you guys are saying. What's the basics of your, of why you guys exist? It's it sales. So go, go make a sale. That's the basic, that's the, that's the foundation of why you guys exist. So like, like for us, like we can add all sorts of complexities to everything that we do. Land navigation is a good one. You learn, you learn how to land navigate with a compass and a map. I mean, did it a hundred years ago. So we learn and master the basics so that when we add a GPS or a satellite link or whatever, um, you, you, you like, it, it makes my job easier. However, what happens when uh, my batteries fail and I'm all out and I'm supposed to be in the field for three days, but now I'm there for three weeks. You always have to master the basics. So at that moment, or things like feel like um, all my technology, all the things I have racked and stacked on top of my foundation is now failing me. You still have your foundation. Go back to your foundation and start building something else over here. Same thing with guns. We're talking about shooting, right? You have your iron sights. We always keep our iron sights on our gun. Why? Because what happens if I smack my, my optics, my, my EOTech, my whatever, my, my lasers? What happens when the batteries die or I smash them? Well, I flip up my iron sights. I can go back to my basics. We always master our basics so that when all the things that we built up fails, if they fail, I always go back to what I know. And it sounds like that's what you guys do. If you're not, something's not working, go make, go make, go knock on the door. That's the basics of why you guys are here. What's the like gnarliest situation you ever found yourself in? Where you were like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm, where you're like, I don't know if I'm getting out of this. Uh, well, I was in a, I was in a gunfight I didn't really know about because I was in a helicopter. Uh, let me see, where was I? I was in Afghanistan. That was pretty gnarly. Hopped out of a helicopter in a gunfight that I wasn't <laughs> supposed to be in. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was pretty gnarly. Uh, we won. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly. We Wait, won. so <laughs> you can't just... So what what happened? You're you're in a helicopter going where? Uh, well, the details I gotta keep kind of uh, broad stroke right now. But we're looking for a really really bad guy, and we were supposed to get dropped off somewhere, and then we weren't. We were dropped off in the middle of where they were. Uh, we're supposed to be much farther off. Landed uh, not really in the middle, but really really close, close enough to uh, hear all the pings go ping 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 in the helicopter. So. Landed, got out in the middle of a gunfight. That was, that was pretty gnarly. You're just landing, bullets hitting the helicopter, and then you yeah. run for, like, yeah. <laughs> just, how many guys were in the... Uh, That's where, uh, and it was, it was all just deals. So we were really good at reading, reacting off one another without having to talk. So we just moved into positions and ended up winning, to say the least. So that was... Uh, that was a pretty, pretty gnarly, pretty hairy situation. Like we knew we were going to go after the same bad guys. We just didn't know we were going to be that close when we landed. So you said you've been, you were in the, you were in this teams for 16 years. When did you retire? Uh, about three and a half years ago. So you were in during, I mean, so pretty much what, 2000 to 2016, 17? Is that 2001? When, when did you go in? Yeah, I got, I went in in, uh, you see, 2001 and then got out 2018. So you were in like the, prime seal like i mean the amount of we, we most of the people that we've talked to have been in that that time what what team were you on or did you work on different teams um mostly on seal team one on the west coast seal team one most of my uh most of my experience i should say in, in the combat world uh i'm going overseas iraq and afghanistan and other places but that was mostly when i was at seal team one so you were you were mostly in afghanistan and stuff like during some of the most like evolutionary times of like you know, in talking to Jocko and some of those guys, like the, the, the evolution of warfare that they've described from when you guys first got over there, maybe you can speak to it, but to where it exited and, and the clarity of the mission and how you guys evolved against, you know, an enemy in the hills and stuff. Maybe, maybe talk about mm -hmm. that because in my head, SEALs, like you guys are legends and you just always know what to do. But in, in talking to some of the guys and some of your peers that experienced that, it seems like you had to learn and develop a lot of the modern warfare and tactics, even like political relations and stuff that are used now. So if that's, that's probably not a very good question, but just talk about what that evolution was like, if you wouldn't mind. Okay. Um, so yeah, so you learn all your tactics, which is really the bottom level of any type of warfare. So if you go from the top down, uh, if you will, the, the, the pyramid of how to get things done, uh, you have to define at the very top what what it look, what victory looks like. And unfortunately, our our government sucks at that, so they don't tell you what victory looks like. So you don't actually know what you're fighting for. That part sucks. Wow. You just know you're fighting for your country. So um, that's how it starts. And then below that, you have your your operations, which are large scale. Like how do I take this chunk of land, or how do I go after this regime? How do I, those are your operational level things. Below that, you have all the the, the strategic levels of how to accomplish those uh, the operations and then on the bottom level is tactics tactics are when i go into that room over there i'm the guy that goes left and i sweep my gun this way you're the guy that goes right and you sweep your gun this way those are tactics mm -hmm. that's the bottom level of how to get things done uh so seals are master tacticians we're great at the tiny little details of how to get things done uh to accomplish the strategic level um in turn the operations and then in turn what victory looks like to accomplish victory. 
So tactics always change, always. And they, and they evolve and they change based on your demographics, the, the land that you're in. Like if I'm going into the Arctic, it's going to be very different than what I do, obviously, in the jungle. Mm-hmm. How I carry myself, the type of gear I carry, uh, the type of gun I'm going to carry. I probably want something much longer range than I am somewhere if I'm clearing in the urban environment where I'm clearing doors. I don't want a big, long barrel. Those are all tactics, really, really small things that make a really big difference on that level. So when we're fighting our enemies um, and you rely on what you, you were taught, your training that you went through, which was good for its time, but it's not good for the moment and it's definitely not good for the future. So SEALs are really good at evolving our tactics um, just so that we always have an upper level from whoever our enemy is in that, in that area, that territory, whatever it is. So Jocko, the guy just had on, uh, he was really good about that. He took a lot of what he learned in combat and he was, uh, uh, he was in charge of trade at training detachment, which I was a part of at one point. And, uh, he took what he learned overseas and said, this is what the enemy's doing. This is how we combat them. The enemy learned how we did this. So we can't do this anymore unless you want to die. And actually a lot of the ways that the enemy learned how to combat us was with video games, television, movies, like they, they see really? because, uh, they'll see. Yeah, they'll, they'll have someone like me who comes on the show and says, no, that doesn't look real. Let me show you how to do it so it looks real. Well, wow. bad guys watch TV too. So yeah, they I learn how we that, do like stuff watching, and then they learn like, how to combat that. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder that like when you're playing like... Call of Duty. Yeah, or, Call of Duty and you're like, okay, this, or like when you watch movies and the plot is like, hey, like this actually could happen. And then the way they're like, I almost wonder if we're training the enemy to some degree sometimes with that stuff. To a degree, at least on a tactical level, for sure. You definitely are. So if we watch in a TV show, hey, when, when someone's assaulting house doing a direct action mission on a structure, they watch this guy go this way, this way, this guy go this way. They do the, the gun sweep thing. But the rest of the team is out here waiting to come in. Let's blow up the rest of that team because they know where they're going to stack up. I guess I saw it in the, in the TV show. So we have to evolve our tactics. Say, well, we can't do that anymore because they're expecting us to do that. So we got to go somewhere else and do a different type of tactic uh, to combat what we used to do. We got to just mix really bad tactics into our movies. Like every now and then, like so someone like you's yeah, watching the movie, like that would never work. And we're like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, this is kind of near and dear to my heart because I actually was that guy. Now I'm the good guy. <laughs> uh, so I, I was, uh, my title was SEAL Tech Advisor. I'm a military technical advisor on uh, Hawaii Five-0, uh, Magnum oh, PI, really? um, yeah, and some other stuff, a little bit of NCIS, but at least the one here in Hawaii, but more of a stunt man there. So I do stunts also. Uh, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> the real stunt man is freaking awesome. <laughs> I'm good, yeah, I'm good at the, gun, the stuff with the guns, but those guys with the fights and the jumping off buildings and everything, those guys are freaking awesome. I'm nowhere near that good. Uh, but I am good with the guns and the movement and things like that. I obviously make it look real because I did it. Uh, but as a tech advisor, I, I am actually really good at that. And I tell the guys, the, the staff, the, the, the actors, the producers, uh, the directors, and I said, I, I'll be happy to make you guys look good on camera, but I'll never give away my tactics. Mm. So I'll show you guys stuff um, based on camera angles and everything, but you'll never actually see how we do things. So I, I actually, uh, I, I took it as a matter of, I guess you can call it pride, mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that the stuff that we, the stuff that was near and dear to the, the core of who we are in, in the world of tactics, the SEAL teams was as far away from, than, uh, from 
the viewer's eyes as I could possibly keep it while still making the, the actors and the stuntmen look really good. But there are guys out there that don't have that mindset. I want to get back to something you touched on earlier, which was the knowing that you have this group of guys that always has your back. I think um, the best sales teams that we have, they seem to have uh, an energy and like a chemistry together. That It's like you hear about like championship sports teams, just like having that chemistry that they all, you know, trust each other, right? How do you, and I don't know if you've been on, I, I would assume that maybe there aren't such thing as bad SEAL teams, but maybe you've been on teams that just gelled together better than others. It's like, how do you create that chemistry to where you trust your teammates? Everyone knows they're going the hardest. You know, is it the, is it the, the power of like doing hard things together? I mean, is, are all those bonds formed during buds? Like how do you, how do, how are those great teams formed over time? It's usually through sacrifice. It's usually, uh, you bleed next to the guy next to you. Yeah. You guys are sacrificing something together. You create a bond with that person that's, um, it's hard to describe in any other way, uh, especially when that type of trust and really that type of trust with that relationship requires, uh, them to protect your life and you, them, uh, how do you create that? That's tough. I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer outside of, of living in a world of sacrifice and, and having to, to give something up to gain something later. Most people are so short-sighted. They can't see past their nose. They can't see, well, if I sacrifice this thing now, it'll grow into something greater later. I mean, people do that with, when they invest their money, right? That's the whole purpose. But sacrifice this money now so it grows into something later. Same thing with relationships. If I sacrifice something now, that relationship will grow into something later. Um, how to do that with a team? Well, I, was, I think that you have to start with someone that already has that mentality and that, that way of thinking. Uh, that's already built inside them, that those core values are already inside of them. It's hard to instill core values in someone unless they're willing to sacrifice their old way of thinking. You were a, uh, an underwater combat instructor at, for the SEALs, mm -hmm. right? Of all the guys that you've worked with training, or the, were there any like type of trait, personality trait or just like a type of person that you would be like, man, this guy's just not coachable or this guy is just not getting it. And it's like, if he would just do this, he could be great. Like what are the things holding people back from pride. becoming great? It's pride. It's always pride. You know? So when someone starts pounding their chest and saying, look at me and they think they're unteachable at that moment, they become a virus. And it spreads too, unless you extinguish the virus. So I guess that kind of makes a lot of sense in this day and age. But yeah, if you don't, if you're not able to uh, to, to put that out, then it, yeah, it's it, it's terrible. But it it always starts with pride and arrogance. So in the in the teams, we have a we have a good way of extinguishing that. That's frowned upon by all other communities, uh, and it's usually uh, through a lot of pain. To say the least. <laughs> But we have a way of extinguishing that or getting rid of that person because it is, it is so toxic to our community where you think that you're either better than somebody else, um, that you're unteachable or that the, for example, title of a Navy SEAL, like if you start wearing that, like it's a, uh, like a soapbox, uh, for, for your own personal, uh, vendetta or agenda, then yeah, we have, we have a way of getting rid of those types of, 
those types of people is it doesn't work in a team. You know, a team is everyone brings what they got to the table to accomplish a goal that is that you have the, the same vision, same goal, same everything. So that when you bring all the different pieces of the puzzle together, it creates one picture. And SEALs are very, very different. I'm probably very different than the other guys that you've interviewed. Uh, some SEALs are, are very like, yeah, you know, let's go get them. You know, Jock was a lot like that, right? You have other SEALs that are much more reserved. You know, the guy in the background, always watching, but always in the background. And you got other guys that are a bunch of computer nerds. And you got guys that are jocks. You got, we come from all different walks of life. Uh, but when we come in, one SEAL by himself, worthless, absolutely worthless. Like, if I walk into a room with 20 bad guys by myself, I'm the best gunfighter, the smartest guy, everything. Gang Fu always wins. So we'll lose. I'll lose. But put another SEAL next to me. Man, not put three, but four of us, put 16 of us, we're an unstoppable force because we learn how to work together as a team. We learn how each other walk. I know what my, I know what my buddy's shadow looks like. So, because I know what type of gear that he wears, like, you know, everything about every person and they know that about you, but the whole purpose that we're a team, that we're together is to accomplish a goal, a mission, a vision, a something. Otherwise you can have 16 individuals trying to do their own thing and it's chaos. 16 individuals accomplishing one thing are extremely effective. It's interesting because, um, and I even appreciate the fact that, you know, you're so quick with that answer of pride and then how serious you are about, uh, you know, extinguishing it, as you said, from your culture, because, you know, in your, in your field, okay, you have to be able, you can't have, let someone's pride potentially put you in a, in a dangerous situation where the consequence could be life or death. Right. But it is the life or death of a business often or team. Like it, I mean, I'm imagining if some, somebody gets that on Trident Adventures team, you know, you, you look at it as like, Hey, you could kill this whole thing. And, um, as I hear you talk about sacrifice, I actually think that that's, it's impossible to sacrifice and kind of be proud at the same time, right? If you're like, Hey, I'm going to sacrifice my time to come help you figure this out or close this deal or move this couch into your house, whatever, right? Like it's actually, you almost can't get those two things together. So you kind of get this idea of servant leadership. Do you see that in the seal teams? Like, because I know you guys have your ranks and things like that. Um, but do you guys, is, is, is servant leadership something that's taught, applauded? Is it, you know, I, I know you guys are kind of different when like you can have beards and, you know, you don't necessarily have to just walk the straight line, but maybe talk about that subculture of, of how, the, how the, the senior people lead kind of from within. I would say uh, servant leadership is paramount. When you have a, a, a leader who actually doesn't think that his subordinates are there to make him look good, but he's there to make his subordinates look good. That's a different way of thinking. It's an upside down pyramid. I mean, that is, in my opinion, the best form of leadership. That's what I practiced in Trident Adventures. And it, a lot of it has to come with, you have to be able to delegate and trust. And that's really hard to do as a leader. Sometimes you delegate and trust saying, I'm giving you power. I'm giving you authority to make these decisions and the decisions you make will either uh, make or break whatever it is. So I do that with my staff. I do that with my dive masters, my instructors, my boat captains, uh, the managers involved in my company. Uh, and when they make a decision, I'll give you a great example. My, my manager, her name is Donna. She's the greatest human being ever. Um, we had someone on our team 
uh, it's so funny. It was, just, it was just what I was saying. Pride and arrogance rose up in his heart. And he started making, uh, saying some things, saying some bad things, uh, all of which was based on a complete 100% misunderstanding. There was no basis for it whatsoever. Uh, but he made some bad calls. And he was, a, he was a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine. And I hired him because he's my friend. But when I, when I gave my, my authority as the CEO of my company to my manager, Donna, she says, I got to fire him. I was like, Donna, it's my friend. She says, yes, but if, you, if we keep him on, you know what that looks like. It's the virus. It's that virus that spreads. That, and she's right, but it's hard for me to see that at the moment because he's my friend. And I said, Donna, I didn't give you the power. I literally, these are my words. I did not give you the authority to make these decisions, to take it away from you when it's convenient for me. And she fired him. And it sucked. I mean, I, it broke my heart. I actually had a hard time eating for a couple of weeks because he was my friend. Um, but it was the right call. And it immediately extinguished this, this tension, this unspoken, un, this weird mm. force, if you will, this tension I could feel when I walk into my own company, my own boat, like, what is going on here? It was him. And she was right. Mm. And I was blind to it because he was my friend. You know, and I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt that he was wrong and he deserved to be fired. Um, and, uh, like I said, it's like, that's that servant leadership, uh, where it hurts. I'm like, here you go. I, I trust you to make the right decision. Even if I can't see with, uh, my circumstance at the moment, uh, what you're seeing right now. So, I mean, this is servant leaders in the world that throughout all of history that made the real changes in this world, Jesus being the number one, I would say. Um, where you, same thing, you delegate your authority and just trust people that they're going to do the right thing. Sometimes they don't, like my friend, but sometimes they do. I would say most oftentimes they do. Something changes in a person when you, when, you, when you give them that level of trust and authority. However, I will say this. You want to find out what someone's made out of? Give them power and authority. Trials and temptations, uh, pain, it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't make you. Uh, it will refine you. It'll show you who you are in your core, but give someone power and authority and you can absolutely corrupt somebody. Or hopefully it adds that servant leader type of uh, mentality where you actually see someone do what you did, that servant leadership where you, you, delegate, um, you delegate power and authority and you live to, to lift people up. So Ty, when we showed up to the boat in Hawaii, um, they got us all on the boat and then they had us all stand there. And then the captain of the boat came out and started giving us like the rundown, explaining, you know, where the exits are, like all kinds of stuff, you know, and everyone on the boat is, uh, all the, all the guides on the boat are at full attention, just watching us. And, um, none of us had any idea that Steve was the actual owner of the company because Steve was, uh, just getting all the scuba packs like situated still so while the captain who i think we all just assume must don't be the owner of the company or you know whatever and i don't know what his actual role is but uh, or you know position in the company is but um the guy who was actually the leader was make double triple checking every scuba pack before we went out and then when they were like assigning us they were just like oh yeah you're he's like you you know you guys you you'll be with so-and-so and then he points at like uh me and the people in my group and he's like yeah and you guys will be with steve 
you're in good hands. Steve is a former Navy SEAL. And like kind of like starts like explaining it. And I was like, huh? Like, <laughs> you're know. like the, the, the snorkel checker guy. I'm like the, <laughs> yeah, the snorkel guy. <laughs> the, and then uh, we started feeling very safe pretty quick. I'm like, man, I'm like, I don't think there's any scenario where I'm feeling unsafe with this guy. Like, we except could, for the sea urchin for a we second. We could get attacked. The sea urchin. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it made it all better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that thing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I'm like, I'm like, we get attacked right now. And like, you know, Steve's got, you know, a piece of coral and he's going to, you know, he's going to kill everybody with it. So. Unless he's alone. Yeah, right? Unless he's alone. You gotta, have, you gotta have your boys with you, right? Yeah. Hey, how embarrassing was I with that? Um, with that, I don't know what you call it. The gun that kills the fish. What was that called? What's that called? What's the, gun. the spear gun. The spear gun. Yeah. <laughs> I think I know how embarrassing you were with it based on what's that contraption you know that kills the fish. How bad was I with the how bad was I with the spear gun, Steve? Uh I mean, you weren't good. (laughs) But you weren't terrible. You weren't terrible. I brought people out that are far worse. Uh but you got a couple fish. Did you actually try them? Did you eat it? I don't know know if you ate afterwards. No, we ate it. How much how much time did you spend in Afghanistan between tours and things like how how many how, how many months, years, tours? How, how much time you spent over there? Afghanistan? Um, I didn't spend as much time in Afghanistan as I did in Iraq. So I only did one deployment. In the Middle East, I'll say. In the Middle East, oh, quite yeah. a few times. Um, I had multiple deployments in Iraq. I'm, I'm curious, how do you feel about, you know, the quick exit and what's going on over there? I mean, you're somebody that risked your life and spent so much time and so much of, I mean, you had the people closest that you respect most out there. And you know what I mean? So how does it feel now to look, I'm, I'm a, I'm a product of the media. All I know is what I've been shown. So I don't know how bad it mm-hmm. is over there and I don't know what's happened since. But I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. So it's the dumbest decision. I think the administration that currently exists could have made. So the reality is they call it a, the endless war. We've been there for 20 years. We've been in war. Yeah. We've been in war for 20 years. We have bases all over the world. We have base in Germany. We've got, we got, we got bases in Guam. We got bases in, I mean, all around the world. Anywhere that we've had a, a, a presence, a military presence, we leave these satellite bases all over the place. And Afghanistan was one of them. And, uh, and it was just a stupid political BS ploy. Um, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of people that um, risked our lives, and actually a lot of people who did die, whose families that we were accountable to, uh, they're all dead now. Uh, or at least a lot of them are dead where we have civilians, people uh, with former uh, experiences like mine, who get a bunch of money, go out there, rescue like our interpreters uh, and their families, the ones that haven't been murdered yet and bring them here for asylum. Uh, it's, it's the dumbest thing we could have done. Like all we have to do is hold ground, that's it. We don't have to do offensive things. The only people doing offensive things anyway, really were guys like me, which are really surgical things. It's not a full scale freaking war. It's small little things like us. It's like going in there. It's like a surgeon going in with a razor blade or, and then just cutting up the little piece of cancer. So it doesn't spread. Uh, but that's like guys like me, that's what, that's what we would be doing over there. It wasn't a full on freaking assault. It wasn't war. And how it's been portrayed in the media is this endless war. It's not a war. It hasn't been a war for a long time. Uh, but it was a presence that we have there, just like we have all over the world. And it was an incredibly amazing strategic, remember that operation strategic tech, uh, is strategic positioning of, for the U.S. to have 
for a lot of reasons that I probably, some of them are my opinion, uh, some of them I know, but it was probably the, the dumbest thing we probably could have done. Does it make you, uh, so dumb. does it make you sad to see it? Like, I mean, yeah. I can tell it makes you, yeah, I mean, it's cause the, most of the people over there, correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't view people like your groups as a threat, right? Most people are just trying to live their lives over there, right? Most people are just trying to like raise yeah. their families and run their business. And you provide a lot of stability and safety to that, right? Well, we provided the stability and the safety for the, their government to function. Mm-hmm. And in turn, that government provides stability for, for uh, especially women in that culture to be more than just someone that sits at home with everything covered up. Um, for them to get an education and to be valued as a human being. Uh, I mean, that, that was a huge thing, but yeah, it provides stability for the culture to actually start developing itself. And that's what we did. But when we pulled out, all went sort of back to the stone age stupidity. So fast. Um, so yeah, I mean, I went to way too many of my buddy's funerals. Uh, you know, when we go to a funeral, uh, a fellow steal, I mean, we take our trident off our chest, the, the pen actually, but, that way <laughs> behind me, that's the trident. Uh, but it's a gold pin that sits on your chest and you go to a funeral, you take it off and you pound it in the, in the coffin of your buddy. Uh, so I mean, way too many, way too many of that. And that's just in the SEAL teams fighting in Afghanistan. Um, and to see that all just piss it away. Yeah. I mean, first time ever in my entire life ever, I was unable to work. And I've been in pretty sucky environments that you just got to work. So I was an instructor on the boat for the day. Like you said, servant leadership. I'm not the guy in the top parking orders. I get down the bottom and I'm jamming tanks and I'm scrubbing the deck of the boat. So I'm there with my guys doing that as well. But that day when we pulled out, it's the only time ever in my life I had to call someone, one of my other staff in and say, can you cover for me? I, I should not be in charge of someone's safety today. My mind is not in the right place. And he did. He came in. Awesome guy. His name is Mark. Uh, he came in. He covered for me that day. But yeah, that that hit me way harder than I thought it would. That's well, not, you spoke. Still you spoke. You spoke earlier about how often you don't get <clears throat> the the high level vision or the the you know like the mission. I can't remember the exact word you used. You know, in the strategy part of the triangle, sometimes you don't know everything. You're just there to go out and fight. So how? how does your performance, like, I'm sure there's people on the teams that agree with the current administration at the times decisions and certain people that don't, we all have different political beliefs and, and you have a job and you have to execute no matter what. So how much of your morale is tied to, I mean, think about it from the year 2000 to the year 2021, we've had some of the most polarizing politics in history, right? So name them. You could be a George Bush fan, an Obama fan, a Donald Trump, Joe, but I mean, those are somebody's going to have a problem with some of those people most of the time. Right. So how hard is it to do your job when you disagree with the leader or when the culture from the leader doesn't sync with your core values? Oh, that is a very good question. (laughs) It's gotta be impossibly hard, right? That's super hard, super hard. So without exposing all my political beliefs, um, uh, I would tell you, I, I served under a Republican. I served under Democrats. I've served under, uh, and not just from uh, the, the executive side, but also with the State Department's working with embassies. I work a lot with embassies um, and consulates all around the world. So I see it from a lot of different angles too. And at the, at the, at the 
fundamental at the core, the foundation, if you will, of, of why we do things that we do. It's for my, it's for the guy next to me. So, uh, I can't say where I was, but it kind of adds to this story, but I was in, I was in a particular place where we were doing a security detail for an ambassador and this ambassador is barking orders at us trying to say, you need to do this. You got to do this. And I actually told the ambassador, I said, listen, I don't care about you. Just so you know, like you wanted a SEAL team to protect you while you're in this country. Fine. I said, but I really don't care about you. I don't care if you live. It means no difference to me. See that guy next to you, you're barking orders at? That's my friend. I know his wife. I know his kids. I know his dog's name. I helped him set up his fish tank. I care about that guy's life. Okay. I'll take a bullet for that guy. I ain't taking a bullet for you. So you have the, the, the best protective detail on this freaking planet right now. You know why we're the best? Because we care about each other. We don't care about you. However, if you listen to us, instead of trying to bark orders at us, if we get in a hairy situation, you'll be safe. So instead of you barking orders at us, I'm going to tell you what to do. So this, you care about freaking politics, dude. So stupid. Dude, I wish I could have seen that conversation. I just wish I could have seen it, right? Like that's got to be like the time for you to be like, ah. But that set the, it set the, the atmosphere, set everything straight. And we were super safe. There was nothing wrong whatsoever. It was actually a super boring op. Uh, in fact, most SEAL ops are boring. The ones that are super cool that everyone likes to talk about is actually usually the times that we screw up. That's when we get into gunfights. Um, most of the time we try to be sneaky, sneaky. No one ever knew we were there. So at the very core of who we are, it's about the guy next to you more than anything. Definitely not for the guy at the, at the top. We're not, I'm not fighting for Joe Biden. I'm not fighting for Trump. I'm not fighting for Obama or Bush. I care about that. I'm fighting for my nation. So my nation calls me to go to Afghanistan. I'm going to Afghanistan. If they call me to go to Iraq, I go to Iraq. So on a, on a personal level, I disagreed with a lot of the stuff that we were doing. Not to the point where, where it was like against my morality, like the sure. core values of who I am. I didn't necessarily agree with some of the missions, uh, the purpose of those missions. In fact, SEALs are really good at not just, you know, give me an order, I'll just do it. We're not, we're not a bunch of freaking machines. We're actually thinkers uh, uh, way before we were a shooter. And that's one of the things that's really unique about our community is that we're, we're, we're really good at thinking outside the box. One of the times I was in Iraq, we were given a whole lot of intel about where it was a, supposed to be a bomb making facility. And we go in, it was, this, it was a big op. And this was early, in the early days when it was kind of like the wild, wild west in, in Iraq. And we kicked this door and actually we blew it down. And it was an underground church. And like, we just called, hey guys, weapons down. Um, and all these, uh, these Christians in Iraq were all huddled in the corner. Uh, I was just kind of gathering huddled in the corner, waiting to be executed. Now, if we had gone with our, I guess you can call them orders, I mean, it was a kill capture mission, uh, it would have been completely justified to start taking shots and then pound ourselves in the chest. So yeah, we killed a bunch of terrorists because that's how we classified them before we kicked the door in. But SEALs are thinkers before they're shooters. And we recognize, they, remember I'm talking about situational awareness. Before we you see all these people scrambling, and it's all dark. It's all we got night vision goggles on. Everyone's scared because there's a big boom because the door just went down. And we realized immediately, like, these guys aren't running with guns. Like, that's one thing. And two, it's like, I'm scanning the room and I'm seeing all these bodies scrambling over to the corner. 
like you see a cross on the wall and you see it's like, oh my gosh, this, this is a pot making facility. This is a, this is a, this is a secret church. And then, uh, um, and then one of the things we did, I actually, I, we all carried a bunch of money on us. We called, we brought those people over. We apologized to them. I mean, we paid them for their, for the damage that we caused. Not we, United States of America, we, the, the seals that were on that up. We paid them for the damage that we caused and apologized to them because it was bad intel. Um, so, and then another time, this was, uh, where was I? It was in the Philippines. And there was, there was no combative things going on, but we go there for a presence. And we were on a particular island because it was adjacent to where a bunch of terrorists were training on the other island. Uh, so we built a, a little bit of a, a place there. And it was the craziest thing. Like all these kids had cleft lip, all of them, the entire island. They all had cleft lips. So, I mean, we always try to do what's right and what's good, even if it's not behind the barrel of a gun or the, the sights of a gun. Like, so we, we brought in all these doctors and it was like a hundred bucks a kid. It was like nothing. And do a simple procedure and heal these kids' faces and their parents are crying because uh, now their kids look normal again or normal. So, I mean, we always try to do good everywhere we go. So whether I believe in the political party or whatever, we always try to do good and what's righteous. I'm imagining the doors of your church being blown off. I know. I was thinking two people the team, probably tell that story. Like and then I'm amazed. Yeah, the way they tell. And then the and then they were like, they blew the. You know. And then they were like, our bad. You know. <laughs> and then they left. Yeah, I wonder how they. So there, are, so and there I was. So and then, there I was. They, <laughs> then they handed us a few hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry right. About the heart attack uh, and the front door. Yeah. Y'all go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Maybe the maybe the pastor was like, and if what I'm saying is true, there may there be a loud noise, you know, behind me. <laughs> the, the, the doors blew off. I, I I really think it's awesome that people that develop the skills of, you know, you're like of the Navy SEALs. I, I'm such a fan of of you guys that come and like find practical applications for those skills, because a lot of the mm-hmm. thing we talk about on this show is that success principles are universal. Like what made you good, a great operator and a great, you know. Uh, advocate and soldier for freedom is also what makes you a good businessman. It probably makes you a good husband, father. I don't know about your family situation, but I'm, I'm such a fan to see those true. You call them like righteous people trying to do righteous things and, and mm-hmm. do that in society to where even when a group of our guys are on the Island, they get to have an experience with you guys that ultimately leaves them more available to show up for people in their lives. I, I just, I just think that's awesome. And I, I applaud that, you know, the, the, the same things that made you successful before are still making you successful. I think that's great. Yeah. And, uh, so my experiences, they lead me to, it kind of goes one of two different directions typically. And they usually go to one extreme or the other. After you go through a lot of stuff that we've been through, we mean the guys in the SEAL teams, and it's not just us. It's, it's a lot of people that are in like first responders, people that are surrounded by death mm-hmm. and you become either very apathetic, become very numb to the, the human experience, or you typically go the other, you go either that way and you get PTSD and weird stuff like that associated with it, or you go the other direction where you have a high value for life and a high value for relationships and a high value for the human experience. Um, where the little things in life, you just kind of like, you, know, you shrug them off. And a lot of people sweat the little things. Uh, but when you, when you can look at life from a perspective that every moment is precious, every moment is borrowed, every moment is uh, valuable, 
you live your life that way and you value people that way. Like for me, I value my company that way and, and people that join my company, like when Adam and your guys just, so uh, it, it changes your perspective on things and uh, like jumping out of a helicopter. Okay, cool, right? So we're the only ones in the world that do that. But it's different when you build a relationship with someone and then jump out of a helicopter with them. And that's essentially why we're even here talking right now. Uh, it's not the activity, it's the people involved with the activity. And that's why they're actually making a TV show out of our company. It's not it's cool activities, but it's our people, the team that we create. That's what's so awesome because there's a depth to that, that the activity sits on top, but the roots that go down below, it's, it's, it, that's what people are drawing from. Yeah. Steve, it's been awesome having you on. I want to just end with this. Um, you know, we're, we're staring at your wall behind you. And I've been kind of like checking out some of the different stuff you have on the wall, but you have the Navy SEALs Creed on the wall. Um, mm -hmm. What can you just kind of summarize what that creed says and just what it means to you? Yeah, it's basically put yourself at the bottom. So again, your servant leadership, it says, hey, my team is first, the guy next to me, and then somewhere in the bottom, there's me where I'll live a sacrificial life for all those above me. Essentially, that's the SEAL Creed. I've never heard it explained that way. It's Jesus style life, not just leadership, but how you conduct yourself in life. So at the end of the day, you're living for something greater than yourself. So for me, that's God's first, then my family, then my, my teammates, those around me and somewhere on the bottom, that's me. And if you take care of all those things in the proper order, it's funny how it circles back to you. But even if it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you, you've, You've resolved that in your heart that at the bottom of the barrel is me and everybody else is more important than me. And I will treat them that way. And I truly believe that in my heart. And that creates a life that is very, very deep. So not just in my, my like how I love my wife, how I love my son or how I work on my fish tank, but how I conduct myself in business, how I treat other people, how I was in the SEAL teams, just all walks of life, how I am with my relationship with God, everything, you know, it's just, servant just love people love people um even when they hurt you it's okay just love people and uh that's the type of leadership that i have too steve it's been awesome having you on man really appreciate the time yeah. and uh i hope that someday we can get back out there at some point and uh and do it again so uh that'd be awesome such a cool experience but yeah thanks man and uh pleasure thanks to everyone for listening to another episode if you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, just DM us on Instagram and one of us will reach out about how to join this dynamic opportunity. You want to come be a part of the best sales team, solar team in the industry? Hit us up. Sunrun. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.